welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about rolling to find out who has narrative control at your table. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we're going to be talking about non-binary resolution and how dice mechanics inform story development. What do we want to talk about? I don't know, games and stuff. Let's go ahead and start with our very exciting news that we have. Yeah, we lo- we launched the Patreon. Yeah, and you listeners are so wonderful and amazing. Uh, we really didn't think we were going to need more than two goals for a long time. Yeah, but we, we blew away both of the goals we set up. In the first 24 um, hours, we hit our first goal. And by two days later, I think we had hit our second. Yeah, which is, is uh, it feels really good to know that there are people out there who not only listen, but care about us enough that they want to help uh, support the show. And just, so just a, before anything else, we just want to say a sincere, heartfelt thank you. You make this yep. show possible. Yep. And, and you allow us to have the financial freedom to move forward with new content, different kinds of content, and not worry about this show going away. Yeah, exactly. Which is important to us. So, it's it's uh, it's, I'm 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 excited. So with the along with the, let's just kind of go through the goals real quick. Um, our first goal was for ten dollars a month, and that was what we blew through in like the first day. Um, that from that point on, stop hack and roll was primarily funded by you guys listeners and as a reward for that i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna find i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna re-export all the original 18 episodes at a much more reasonable level not the sort of highly compressed versions that i we have been previously publishing and i'm gonna put them on soundcloud and probably youtube and i was thinking today i can actually release them to a patreon rss feed uh so they'll go on as audio posts uh, and, and then going forward, hopefully I'll just keep, I'll keep putting, outputting them at that level and you'll get to hear what I hear when I, when I edit these podcasts and not the sort of highly compressed <laughs> thing that we have to, you do to fit into the small amount of upload space that we are given. Well, especially because we have now hit also the $20 goal reward. Yep. At which point we are going to upgrade our plan to the next tier and start exporting higher quality episodes in general. Yep, we'll have a lot more breathing room to put out, uh, just for as a point of reference, most hour-long podcasts uh, come in at about somewhere between 30 to 50 megabytes, and we've been sort of limited to 25 megabytes, and that was <laughs> it was just very painful for me to upload that and to compress that much. So we'll have some more breathing room. And we'll actually have a little room to do some extra stuff, so if we wanted to throw in an extra episode every once in a while, or if we wanted to launch a new podcast, or put up some pilot episodes or something, uh, we'll have that that freedom to do that. Yeah, if we want to, because they know... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) everyone knows that we want more podcasts all the time. Yeah, and so along with a $20 goal, we're going to start doing some extra stuff, which I think uh, I'm excited for. 
I think we had talked about this in the last episode, but we're going to start doing a what we were sort of tentatively calling the Stunts and Moves pamphlet. Well, that's what the entire last episode was, was basically the audio yeah. version of a Stunts and Moves pamphlet. Yep, and so we're kind of still, I think, I like the idea that it might be a Discord chat between the two of us, Yeah. where we talk about the questions, and then in the sort of, at the end, we'll write up some nice-looking final versions of the moves and stuff we create. Um, and those will be questions provided by people at the rollers level or higher so sometime after this episode we'll be reaching out to you guys to get some questions from you about what you want to see and then that'll probably uh launch with not this episode but the next episode yeah uh and that should be phenomenal i can't wait to see what kinds of things we come up with and you could have us slowly build a game for you if you wanted to (laughs) yeah yep and the I've got this, like, fantasy in mind of someone saying, hmm, I'd like to write a PBTA game. I'm just going to do it one move at a time (laughs) through these guys. (laughs) Yep. And so that'll be be a monthly thing, and that will probably always come out around time of the the second episode of of the month. We also, in part because we have all of this extra space to stretch and luxuriate in, have our quarterly questions and answers extras podcast where Mm -hmm. we will be contacting people soon to get questions. And those are going to be released uh, on a quarterly basis. And it will also have a lot of information as we are kind of doing a state of the network. Yeah, that'll be a, uh, it'll be a real podcast. It'll be us talking. It won't replace our normal podcasts. It'll be released sort of, I guess, in the off week between the two episodes or something like that. Um, we'll figure out exactly the details and and where the stunts and moves is sort of specifically limited to questions in the form of how would you do this thing in this game the the question and answer episode is just going to be whatever our backers have asked us yeah and it will let us also keep you aware of projects we're doing and things that might interest you as well because there are many interesting projects that i cannot wait to show people yeah. Um, oh, we should say, I don't know if we, the Stunts and Moves pamphlet is going to be a, it's a reward for the the people who back us on Patreon. So it's questions asked by back, Patreon backers, and it's content for Patreon backers. But the question and answers podcast is questions by, pa- by Patreon backers, but for everyone. It's just going to go in the regular feed. Exactly. Uh, and so we're going to have some new goals at some point, hopefully soon. Yeah. Because we uh, radically underestimated how amazing our community is. So. Yep. And so I've already started thinking about some future things that we're going to try to do. Uh, some different ways we can sort of frame out the future of the podcast a little better. And uh, hopefully we can all like continue find You can tell your friends and they can come listen to this podcast and you'll help like the thing i'm most excited about is how much we do things like the the stunts and moves and answers question answers podcast episode where we let patreon backers and listeners sort of give us input more directly and in a formal way to help us guide the content of the show to towards things that they like and so we can make a better product uh and also the system mastery guys have on their patreon that they will get a micro pig and so I just want to suggest that we get a micro pig, James. 
Or a macro pig. <laughs> if we get a macro pig, it is definitely living with you. <laughs> it's true. I have a bigger yard. Yeah, it needs space to run around on its stubby but I can't, yet I macro can't legs. Have a pet. Oh, that's yeah. no good. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Patreon aside, another thing that we introduced was our Discord. Uh, which is basically like a on-all-the-time chat room with a mm -hmm. voice component that you can hop onto as well. It's been really great this first, I guess now at this point, first week and a half, two weeks that we've had it up. Yeah, There have mm -hmm. been three games organized through it. And, oh man, I only knew about one. Oh no, there were three, man. Nice. Uh, and just absurd amounts of mechanical talk. Can I tell you a story? Yes. I don't know if you, I mean, you were there for this, so you sort of know, but I don't know if you know the full story. When you got Declan on and you guys ended up playing, you and Josh and... It was me, Blake, Josh, and Declan. Played Dungeon yes. World. And I was at my parents' house for dinner that night, so I couldn't participate, but I was driving home. And so on the way home, I connected to the voice chat, muted myself, and plugged it into my car stereo and listened to you guys playing Dungeon World. Uh, through the discord like i was listening to a podcast that is amazing and it was a lot of fun that's awesome i didn't realize that you were listening in yeah that was a weird game you guys uh fought some like weird shadow thing and declan was a <laughs> ridiculous dwarf <laughs> declan is is a ridiculous eight foot tall dwarf yeah yeah and our old gm what Many of many of the stories we've told on this podcast are of campaigns that he ran and GM'd for yeah. us, too. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we've been working on a lot is some of the dice mechanics and ideas behind your Academia game. Yeah, uh, maybe we should even back up a little bit more than that and just say, sort of, like, beyond people playing games, a lot of the chat, because of who we are and because of, like, the, the people who come and, and want to chat with us... Uh, a lot of the, the the conversations that go on in in the Discord is about pen and paper games and design and uh, like I know that uh, Josh and I have been talking about we're both working on games uh, and and it's it's a, it's a cool communal place where people sort of chat about the things they're working on and we help each other. I'm real excited. And about yeah, it. I've been and I've been I've been revisiting my academics game. My still nameless academics game. It has quite a bizarre history going forward. But yeah, so now I'm getting better at pitching it. Yeah, you definitely are. And I'm I'm much closer. I think we talked about it in an episode uh, early on, and it has changed a lot. Yes. One of the core concepts of this game that I've been working on is that the sort of the core assumption about college students is that. Um, for those of you who haven't sort of heard this pitch for this game before, is that college students, they do the things that they're studying. Like, if you're taking a physics class, you are, you're immersed in physics, you're reading physics textbooks, you're going two or three times a week to a classroom where people are talking to you about physics, you're doing homework, you're writing papers, and you probably will never at any point in your life know more about physics than in that semester when you're taking that class, unless you go on to take another physics class. And so, and sort of it's, it's, and the game rolls into that sort of, um, 
if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of trope. And so it sort of says college students are the classes they're taking. Those are the primary things they're thinking about. Uh, and those are the things, those are the skills, the way they'll try to solve problems. So let's, let's set up players with, with the classes they're taking and then give them problems to solve using the things they've learned in those, those fictional classes. And so it sort of uses classes and the classes that students are taking as a skill, like as skills rather than a traditional skill system. Stop, hack, and roll. We can't do anything the easy way. No, 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 no. And so I've been sort of, besides that concept, the core concept that um, that classes are skills, I never quite, I still haven't quite figured out how that's going to work as a, like how the skill system will work. I've actually gone, I mean, this game has been a Powered by Apocalypse hack. This game has been a 7C hack temporarily. Uh, it's been, I, I've toyed with Edge of the Empire. It's definitely been a fate. <laughs> It's been fate a little bit. Um, well, I mean, it's early been Mahjong. It's been Mahjong, yeah. It's it's been everything, and so have you considered I, I making it a pachinko machine? <laughs> no, I haven't considered making it a pachinko machine. Well, I think we just solved this um, problem. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah, and so, but I kind of had this rough idea that obviously you were going to allocate some sort of a uh, um, character construction resource when you make the character to the different classes to sort of indicate which of the classes you care about the most. And that will help you build a pool of dice or a pool of points that will let you affect your dice rolls. And that's sort of the general direction I've been working on uh, with, with mechanics. And I kind of like 7C's system, but it just doesn't quite fit with what I'm doing. Okay. And so I've been working a lot on pulling parts out of 7C yeah. to make it work with this game. And specifically, I've been talking on the Discord a lot with Josh, the Valiant, about dice mechanics. And so that sort of, it just became a thing that because we were talking about it, we're immersed in it. That's what Brandon and I have been talking about off of the Discord a lot. Uh, and just everywhere. It's been on my brain constantly. And so I, we just sort of, I think it's an episode. And so I want to just sort of dig into that concept a little more broadly than just in the context of my game. Yeah, absolutely. And into... Because everyone, I mean, unless you're, I don't know, the way I build games is I think about what I want to tell as a story, and then I immediately go to, what is the best resolution mechanic that best serves the type of problems that characters in the story will face? Right. Frequently, the resolution mechanic is one of the first things that I try to address in my brain, just to get a sense of how are how how are players acting? And then what's the pushback mechanically from the system, if there is any? And how do you solve problems? Like when when it, when there's a like, do you need? I mean, I guess all, not all games have a resolution mechanic, but they usually have some sort of a mechanical system. Um, even if it's just here, I have a stick, so I get to talk. Now you get to have the stick. Yeah. Uh, there's some mechanical system there, and it's the core of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for most things, I think that is absolutely true. And even if there aren't dice, even if you're using a diceless system, there is still some sort of mechanic by which you figure out if two people are in conflict, mm -hmm. what happens. Yeah. Who gets what they want and who doesn't. Yeah. Which can be and really simple or really difficult. Yeah. And, and, and sort of, so talking about 7C and talking about powered by the apocalypse and and uh edge of the empire as sort of different 
dice mechanics that might be correct for this game, we got into a broader topic about dice as sort of what I've been calling dice as the narrator, which I think is a concept we may have mentioned on an episode of this podcast before. Probably. I think we maybe even talked about it last episode. We might even have talked about it last episode. I know that you and I have very different thoughts on it, so I'm sure it's come up yeah. before. Yeah, which is, which is to, to explain that concept, it's the sort of, it's part of the broad picture question of who controls the story in a game. Right. And there's so many different answers to that. If you go mm-hmm. with kind of an uh, old school renaissance uh, mindset, it's very much the GM controls everything. And the GM yeah. is allowed to ignore rules and the GM is allowed to ro- ignore roles and the GM is in charge. And that's totally okay if that's what you want to be playing. Mm-hmm. And specifically, like, I think it's important to say they're not they're not ignoring like it's it, the classic example of that is GMs who they're they're telling a story. You're in an encounter. The the goblin rolls really well, but you're rolling behind a screen so the players can't see. So maybe you fudge that roll a little bit because you want the battle to go a certain way, and because you're telling a story and you're providing an experience for the players. Right, the scythe wielding goblin that has times four multiplier on critical hits. Yeah, rolls a second critical hit. And you yeah. go, maybe... That's probably... Maybe not. Yeah. And because that is a set of tools that the GMs of those types of games get to use to tell stories. Absolutely. Uh, and contrasted with that, you can have simple, like just simple systems that are out in the open where the dice are just saying, what do the winds of fate have to do with this? Mm-hmm. Speaking of fate... Uh, fate is a system where not only is the narrative control shared amongst the whole party and the GM, but there's actually like the whole concept of fate points is a mechanical system that says now you have like, you have a quantifiable amount of narrative control, right? Because we're sharing, we're here to tell a story together and you can do things that, there's a, it's it's very interesting because it is it's very much fate is very much a story a group storytelling mechanic more than it is a game mechanic because the problem with group storytelling is oh is usually that one person or the other starts to want to take more control and I mean to some degree all role playing game rules are to prevent that um, but the fate point mechanic is there seemingly explicitly as a way to just balance who has narrative control at any given moment right and that really changes the way that fate tells stories and the kind of stories that fate tells yeah um it means that you have very much a collaborative a collaborative storytelling thing that everybody is able to say this is something that goes well in the story i mean like looking at the trouble aspects is maybe my Mm -hmm. favorite example of this a player has taken the agency to write down what their trouble is the gm uses their agency to put them into a position that tempts their trouble and then the player still has the agency at the end of the day to accept or refuse the benny that's offered to them yeah if i understand how fate works with that (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and you all and you and then you also have it's it's you telling the, the trouble in many ways is you telling 
the the GM and the other players, what is what is the interesting but negative concept circling around your character that you want to experiment with and sort of uh, play out? Yeah, absolutely. And and when a die roll goes poorly, you can use those points to say that's not how I want the story to go. Yeah, and when you run out of those points, you have to do things that are contrary to what you as a player might want, but because you've lost narrative control and you play towards your aspects using compels from both the GM and your other players that sort of say they get narrative control over what your character is doing based off of the things on your sheet because it helps them or it helps the bad guys, but in exchange you get back some narrative control points. Right, and that would never happen for a... Like, for example, as an OSR game, that you roll the dice and you uh, fail your constitution saving throw and you're poisoned, and you say to the GM, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there have... I mean, I feel like there were okay. D20 games that had sort of hero points, but certainly never you would never have a system where you had a, a, like a narrative control point and then you would get to say... Like, in this moment, GM, you should fudge this that, that cobalt scythe attack down a little bit. Yeah. So that I can uh, win. There's definitely games that uh, that are very traditional that have some form of bennies. They tend not to be as much of a kind of a carte blanche as fate points are. Yeah, because I was trying to remember, the, the old um, Cortex... Is it the court, the original Cortex um, Firefly or uh, yeah Serenity system? The Serenity system had was more of a traditional D twenty game, and I think that had uh, hero points that you could use as bonuses. I don't personally remember Benny's from that, but I could be totally. <laughs> we never wrong. used them. I mean, that was no one ever used them. Okay. <laughs> because because unlike so where where with fate points, fate points are not just a you get a bonus on your thing but they're actually, like, uh, you can spend it and say, this thing exists. Yeah. This, like, uh, the cavalry arrives now. Or there's a, a barrel, like a red barrel over there that I can shoot to explode. If we um, had been able to make red barrels that explode, you can bet that have. we would have done that. Yeah. So so there's there's a difference between just a purely mechanical benefit and, and sort of true narrative control. Right. And then both of those obviously contrast with systems where the dice is a legitimate player at the table mm-hmm. which is which is which is we, we talked about the version of D and sort of old school games where the gm is bringing a story and maybe fudging the roles to play to that story yeah but that doesn't need to be the case and a lot of people play where the gm is bringing a, a story but don't do things to fudge where the dice are rolling and just sort of the dice are there as part of narrative. Con- like the GM brings the world and they bring the characters and they role play, but the dice are ultimately sort of the the um, the ball and chain of, on the GM because they sort of have the final say as to how well things went. Right, and then that I what I was bringing up also was the idea of the story game, uh, the mm-hmm. things like Apocalypse World or like. Uh, that's the flip side the, of that. Yeah, I was going to bring up, uh, as an example, um, Hot Guys Making Out, that can mm-hmm. legitimately have a game that the... Car- this In this case, it's cards. But the cards can come up in a way that 
the cards just tell how the story goes. And mm -hmm. there's big questions that are solved by the cards, not by the players. And the players are kind of playing to find out what happens. Yeah, which is interesting. Which is, I think, where a good place to sort of lay out where you and I disagree. Yes, absolutely. This, which is that you buy into the, the play to find out what happens mm -hmm. idea, which I don't dislike. But I like where... I like the... I think maybe Fate goes a little bit further than I'm... like per, Is, like, perfect for me. But I like where the the players are telling a story. Right. Because when I sit down at a table, I'm there to tell a group story. And I want... And I don't want things like dice getting in my way. Yeah, absolutely. And I am sitting down to tell and see what happens. And if I don't have dice telling me what happens, then I expect to have fewer twists and turns. Because each player yeah. at the table provides twists and turns, and the dice are just another player at the table. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and certainly there's a sort of a, a concept of um, constraint creates creativity right so i mean this is a big thing that we talk about or that i've talked about in, in uh, film school of you look at some of the like some very small budget films do very cool creative things but that's because they had to not because they wanted to right i mean like in in in, in some ways um, I mean, this is a terrible. <laughs> this is kind of a terrible example of this. But like Star Wars, they when they were making that original movie, if you go back and read stories about it, George Lucas wanted to do all the sort of uh, computer graphics and special effects that he did in the prequels, but didn't have the money and had to figure out sort of sly ways of doing those things. And it created a. I mean, he worked. I mean, they created ILM, and they did all sorts of crazy modeling and and filming techniques that they invented to make models look very realistic and as a result that movie holds up really well yeah absolutely and 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 like or, or I, mean, I guess a much better example would have been something like transformers jaws by michael they, bay not transformers something like jaws where they didn't have enough money to make a big animatronic shark the whole time and so you almost never see the shark right and so it's scarier and it's a much better, more creative movie because they didn't get to just show the shark. They had to, they had to find creative ways around that restriction. And so dice do pose a restriction because they are sort of an uncontrolled feature of the game. And, and I, and I, like, I totally get where you're coming from that the dice, the dice throw curveballs at you and you need to, as a player, rationalize those cur curveballs and be creative and they push your storytelling to a new level. I also just really like the sense of danger that comes with dice. Because mm -hmm. for me, dice are only interesting if someone is if something or someone is legitimately on the line. Uh, so that's one mm -hmm. reason that I don't do like you know the whole uh, let's see if you can pick the lock unless there's some legitimate danger involved. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. I just, I, I think I, I, my perfect game falls a little bit more on narrative control yeah, totally being fair. in the hands of the players with just a little bit of restriction on the part of the dice. I mean, also, if I have the dice telling me that I have to do mean things, then nobody can blame me. 
if I kill mm-hmm. their character or That's chop fair. off someone's arm or something like that. Yeah. And it, and it's weird because I've started thinking about Apocalypse World, which is, I think, considered a, like a, a story, more of a story game. Yeah. But I've started thinking about it because of its dice mechanic as a game where the players have less like authorship in the story and are more reliant on the dice. I can see. It, and I'm not I'm like I'm not sure I want to commit to that statement, but it, but like the more I look at it, the more it feels like there are that there are a set list of moves. When you want to take an action, you chance chances are you do one of those things. And you, like, if you're in Dungeon World and there's an orc attacking you, you pretty much roll Defy Danger. And you're rolling just one, two dice that have very low, like, there's not a, lot, a huge range of, of numbers they're going to come out with. And you have a static a multiplier, or a static uh, number you're adding to that. And then... At a certain point, you're going to have a success, and at a certain point, you're not going to have success. And those points are not that far from each other, and there isn't a whole ton you can do to modify it or change that. I don't know that that's necessarily true, because a lot of the game is really narratively focused. So, let's say that you are in a situation that there's an orc, and I tell you that you need to, in some way, deal with its strike before you can fight it for realsies. You could say to me, okay, I dodge back out of the way of the strike. And then you would be rolling with dexterity, which is maybe your plus one. Or you could say, oh, uh, I try to quickly convince it that I'm... I try to, like, freak it out, make it uh, not attack me. Okay, that sounds like Defiant Danger using charisma. A little weird. Maybe that's your plus two, though, and you're able to kind of justify it and work it out. Or maybe you just say, I grab onto its arm and just hold it back. And then you're using strength. And, you know, all of those are different legitimate choices you can make in that time. And really throughout, there's lots of different ways you can use the moves. The reason that it's a story game, the reason that it's as narrative as it is, is because of how many of the moves and how many of the things involved in it ask players to create fiction. Like, spout mm-hmm. lore should always come with a, and how do you know that knowledge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking back to Dungeon World's death roll. Yeah. Where you've taken enough damage that you are going to die, or you have to roll, like, you trigger this death roll, and you roll it with nothing. It's just two dice, and there's no modifier. And if you roll less than a six, then your character dies. I think there is, yeah, less narrative control about certain things. I mean, actually, that that doesn't say that you don't, that you die immediately. That's the... I'm looking back at the notes yeah. from our episode two, two episodes ago. That's where the GM gets to choose where you die. Exactly. But you die. like Yes. Well, and you got to zero HP. Yeah, I guess that's true. In the same way that if you're in a narrative system and you've lost your narrative control, the GM can decide when you die. Mm-hmm. Because I know losing narrative control is something from fate. It's basically the same thing, except that in yeah, yeah. Uh, Dungeon World specifically, the GM has already has been told, hey, 
no holding back now. This character has to die. Yeah, it's interesting. I clearly still don't have this all fully right in my head, um, but it's interesting to work through it. I think that I think now is a good time to bring in what I was thinking about. We sort of started this whole conversation, which was Seven C and Edge of the Empire. Yes, which are I think clearer examples of what I'm trying to sort of talk about, which is Edge of the Empire and and Seven C both deal with. Threats and advantages. Yes. They both deal with risks and, and and beneficial things that happen to your character because of dice rolls. And they, they, they sort of take they take two different um, mechanical paths toward that. With Edge of the Empire, you're rolling dice and you have different faces that cancel each other out. And if you're left with enough successes, you succeed. But there are... And if you're left with... Um, non-negated advantage faces then you get advantages of a certain number and if you succeed but have more threat faces then you have a threat and so it doesn't matter what was happening it doesn't make doesn't matter if it makes sense for there to have been a threat that came out of what you were doing the dice rolled and now they've said you have an advantage or a threat well, I will say real quick that the advantages and threats are generated by specific dice. So you're po- it's possible to generate advantages on pretty much any action you're taking and threats on anything you're taking. But if you have a... If this is an easier thing or you're exceptionally good at it, you're more likely to get more advantages. And if this is, mm-hmm. you know, your big, bad, scary enemy guy, this is... Darth Vader come to talk to you, you're more likely to be rolling threats because mm-hmm. you have black dice and stuff. And, and so my, my primary interaction with Edge of the Empire is through the campaign podcast. And the number of times where I've heard them sort of, they say that they've rolled a couple threats or a couple advantages, and sometimes they, they say, oh, there's something here that makes sense. This is obviously what the threat was, or this is obviously what the advantage was, or uh, God forbid, actually using the threats or advantages as a mechanical benefit, uh, like maybe they're supposed to be. Um, but so there are there are definitely times. Uh, so they are storytellers and they are improvers and they are they are trying to, they are doing what we talked about with the sort of like they are they are working together to tell a story and so people who are more interested in telling stories frequently skim over some rules and so it's kind of hard to tell always how this plays out but there definitely have felt to me like there were times where they had an advantage or a a threat and it just didn't make sense to have one generated off of the action they took and they just let it go and move past i i actually really disagree with that i think that they use their threats and advantages they just use it for things that aren't necessarily what the core system expects them to. Like, think of yeah, how many times fine. there has been, like, a surprising kiss because they used advantages, which mm-hmm. is totally legitimate, and it pushes the story. And we're, if, we're, if we are indeed playing to find out what happens, those threats and advantages help to let us know that something cool or something weird or something bad is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it would it would have to be ultimately that that would that this would be a conversation that we'd have to have with those folks 
to see how they how they feel as being people who play this game frequently. But like I can imagine situations in which I have to make a ro- uh, a skill check of some sort as a player and end up with advantages or threats, but in a way that doesn't make sense because the goal was very pointed of the action I was trying to take and we're sort of isolated or something like that. That's so funny because I legitimately cannot think of a situation in which I could not Mm. use threats or advantages if I had them. That is so much my jam. Yeah. I mean... Any action that they say and you're able to press an advantage, what is the advantage you're pressing? Or and something kind of gets in your way and slows you down and is a problem for you, what is that problem? Yeah, I'll concede that that's that's (laughs) true. Maybe maybe the point I want to make is not that the dice are are going to give you advantages or or a threat. Okay, how about this? My 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 concern is not that the dice are going to give you threats and advantages when they don't make sense, but it's that the like the that decision to like it's again, it's the thing that the decision to have a threat or advantage come out of an action was made by the dice, not by a player. Yes, I think that is absolutely the difference is that in my mind that is how we get cool story beats. Mm-hmm. And I think you view it more as GM and players as directors. Mm-hmm. And you don't because... want to give the dice the role of directing the movie. Sometimes yeah. sometimes threats are great and they amp up the tension. But what if you're at the medal ceremony and you roll some threats? Yeah. yeah that may be relevant and you may be able to come up with good threats to come out of that. But that might not be the story that you want to tell yeah. in that moment. And that's totally fair. And and I think this is actually somewhere that you and I really, really differ, is I never have a story in mind. And mm-hmm. I'm always playing to find out what happens. So if I'm at the medal ceremony and we roll like 10 threats, I'm like, oh yeah, we have our next session figured out. It's threats time. And I just start rattling yeah. things off. Because definitely the way that I'm like designing this game of academic of, of academia world or whatever we're calling it is like I'm thinking about the story beats that I want to hit and I want to make sure that anyone playing that game gets to those specific story beats and if God forbid the dice should get between you and that story beat well then my system is hindering you from telling the story that I want to tell with the game and I don't know or care about story beats yeah and and so hmm, my hypothesis is or i'm going to assert something here and maybe you can tell me if you agree or disagree okay which is that i think that is why you you tend to like what we have in the past referred to as games with higher genre bacon yes because you don't want to go in with a story. You want to learn the story by rolling the dice and, and experiencing and playing the game. And if you go in and try to do that with like Dungeons and Dragons, which has a relatively low baked in genre level, you're just going to like that. It's not going to lead you anywhere by just rolling things. But something like Noir World is going to roll you hard into a noir story. That is, You don't have to be thinking about the 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 story because the 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 game is the story that is absolutely true because what i want is for the game to be the story i don't want to write the story ahead of time 
Because if I mm-hmm. write the story ahead of time, then I'm sitting down at a table and seeing if people make it through my story. And yeah. And, and so my, I think my concern is, like, it's what I was saying, is that the, the God forbid the dice or the mechanics should ever get in the, like, the dice or, me- or mechanics should do something that would get in the way of the players playing the story. But if you're talking about a game like Noir World, there's literally nothing the mechanics are going to ever do that doesn't benefit the story. Exactly. Like, if you are if you are playing to figure out if you are playing to find out what happens, then the dice cannot betray the story because mm-hmm. the dice are all the story you've got. And yeah. especially for like something like Dungeon World, I know a lot of people do plan dungeons in a sort of vague way, and I think that's totally legitimate. But it's okay if the players die. <laughs> that's just yeah. what the story was. Ultimately, where I wanted to get to was the flip side of the sort of Edge of the Empire coin, in my opinion, on this matter, is... The Dark Side Light Side coin? 7C. Hmm? The Dark Side Light Side coin. Yeah. Uh, the, for- the Force and Destiny yeah. uh, coin um, is 7C, where you have the same sort of thing where when you make a roll, there are frequently options to where the, the, the player might trigger... Uh, threats or disadvantage Thre- threats or disadvantages threats or advantages only bad things in 7c only bad yeah um but those threats or advantages are proposed to the player by the gm who said who is the one helping turn that narrative wheel and then ultimately it's the player who gets to decide if they want to do it and 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 to some extent because so in 7c second edition you roll a die, you roll your pool of dice, you make pairs of, or you make batches of ten that give you raises, and you get to spend your raises to do things. And you have to spend a certain amount to just succeed at the action, and then, if there are any, because the GM proposed to you, because it makes sense for the story in the moment, you have to either buy off disadvantages, or allow those threats to still occur, or choose opportunities. And so, like, the example that the game gives in the book is a player wants to swing across uh, a chandelier to get the, to get to the other side of the room that's on fire, and they have to they roll their dice and they have to get a certain number of of, of pairs or sets of ten to just succeed at the action of getting across the room, uh, and then there's fire, so they have to deal with the fire, and maybe they don't have enough points to get a, to to. Uh, to get to not take the threat from the fire, but the GM might also propose to them that there's the opportunity to grab like a secret envelope off of the desk they're swinging past. So then the player has to choose: Do I want to not be on fire, or do I want to be on fire but grab the secret envelope? So it's sounding to me like this is the same as Edge of the Empire, that you get threats and advantages on any roll. Mm-hmm. but you have to decide ahead of time to see whether or not you have to decide ahead of time what are the possibilities mm-hmm. as opposed to coming up with the possibilities in the moment mm-hmm. i'm a little not sold on it because i could see someone spending time setting up the threats and advantages of what could happen and then the person just rolling the success and it's like oh well we came up with a really, really cool advantage, but the story isn't going to go there now because you didn't roll enough to get the cool story thing. Mm. 
So like even just bringing it up and putting it out there in the ether could make the actual story you tell less cool than the theoretical story you didn't tell. Um, I mm -hmm. feel like I'd want to see it in action. I don't see an advantage of discussing the perp like I don't see an advantage of discussing what could happen and then that yeah. not happening. Because that's super boring. Yeah, that wastes yeah. time. I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, and I was sort of... I'm reading these rules again. We So, for the listeners, we paused there for a little bit in real time to go back and clarify that I understood what I was talking about. Uh, and it is that does seem weird to me. Uh, and I, I was under the impression that you laid out what, what you were trying to do and... And that maybe the the GM laid out the consequences because all risks have to have at least a consequence. Right. But then it was once you rolled, then maybe you and the, the GM had a conversation about what do you do with the, your leftover raises and what are some opportunities that made sense. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's what it is. So, um, I mean, certainly you could just hack that and, and do that yeah. do it that way. But that's not what the game system says. And, and sort of what we're getting at here, or what we're sort of getting to is, I ultimately decided the system, this system too, was not the right mechanic for my game. Yeah. Uh, but I think for there, a lot of other... But I think there maybe is some potential for... For what you're going for. Because I think you like the idea of having potential consequences to a role. That are not just, mm -hmm. do you succeed, do you fail? Yeah. And what I like about it is... I like I like the idea that you might have to choose how to spend your resources in the moment between either buying off extra consequences or getting some sort of advantage. That you might have to choose between lighting, getting yourself lit on fire and... and or, or allowing yourself to be lit on fire in order to save a friend. Sort of thing, I, while you're running across the room. But I think you also want to maintain a good amount of narrative control as an element. Mm -hmm. Which is why I liked the idea of the GM being the one, or the other players even, being the ones who propose those things up front and say, here are some things that you might be able to do, not after the fact where and so yeah i guess i guess what, you, what your point is correct you would spend a lot of time talking about things that may or may not happen i i guess the way that i would play that would be if you if the gm says you see there's a there's a paper on the table an envelope that looks cool on the table and if you have enough raises you can swing past and grab it if you end up not having enough raises well you still saw that because of the position you were in you still saw that envelope you might choose to try as your next action running back in to go get it. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, if, for example, there's like, oh, there's someone who's standing by the railing, you could mm -hmm. probably kick him off while you swing by. Then that You're not going to get that opportunity a second time. Exactly. And so any time mm -hmm. that you spend... I, I, I come back to analysis paralysis, where people are saying, here's our plan, and if that doesn't happen, then this is our plan. If that doesn't happen, this is our plan. And 45 minutes yeah. later, you haven't done anything. And I know that this is a condensed version of that, but it still makes me crazy at the table. Yeah, I, I can see that too. And so it's interesting. I, I I think that that 7C and Edge of the Empire are interesting counterpoints to each other because they are very similar. Yeah. They're also very different in the way they handle a, a similar mechanic. Definitely. 
can I hit you with an idea that has been percolating in my mind for this? Yeah, go for it. So I talked about this a little bit before, but I think I may have come up with an idea that might be able to manage some of what you're looking for. Okay. You want for actions to potentially have more than one consequence. Yeah. And you want narrative control to be a big part of the game. Mm-hmm. So what if when a action is being made, you have your dice pool, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think you yep. are talking about dice pools in general. Yeah. And you have three slots that you're going to be putting dice into. And the way you do is the first slot is are you successful? And how high how many dice you put into how high the roll is of the dice that go into that slot tells you how successful you were. Did you achieve what you wanted to do? Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm going to use just the numbers from uh, PBTA because that's easy. 10 10 plus uh, player describes success. 7 to 9 player and GM work together to describe. 6 minus GM describes. Then after that you have and. And this is a place for opportunities. Uh, 10 plus player describes. 7 to 9 GM and player describe. 6 minus GM describes. And then you have a third slot, which is but. And this is where you've got your threats. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So you have something where it goes like, uh, you turn off the Bunsen burners before the lab explodes. Yeah. And you see this note that's left by the professor. But there's werewolves coming down the hallway right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And maybe you could have um, different like areas for how big of a deal are you allowed to make the different things. So like, mm-hmm. this is a small narrative reward. This is a medium narrative reward. This is a large narrative reward. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think you were trying to describe this to me earlier and I hadn't quite grokked it. I and hadn't I, quite I, figured I out like how to I say get it. it. Yeah, I feel like I get it a little better now. I kind of, like again, because a lot of the core mechanic of this game that I'm working on is resource management. Yeah. Um, and I do like the idea of allocating, I don't know if this is exactly what you were talking about, but allocating dice to the different things. Like, if you have a, a, an action and and but section, like mm-hmm. piles, and yeah. and before you make your roll, you're allocating the, the number of dice you have. So maybe you have five dice. You could say, I... And most interested in achieving this goal. Yes. And I don't care about anything else that happens. So you put all your dice in the first, in the action, like, bucket. Yeah. And then you roll. And as long as one of them is 10 plus or whatever, however the, the resolution mechanic works, you get to explain how you succeed at the action. And then because you didn't put any dice in the other two categories, you obviously roll a zero. So the GM gets to decide what happens. Yes, exactly. Because you said exactly- what is what was... What was most interesting to me was the narrative control over me succeeding at the action, which also gives you the interesting ability to say the most, like, I, I, I don't care if I, like, I'm trying to, maybe I'm trying to escape. And the most interesting and the most important thing to me is the but, because chances yeah. are, uh, I don't, like, the GM will either describe that I got away or didn't, but I'm most concerned with, not taking any sort of like lasting harm. Yeah, I don't. And so want I want to control that. 
I want to control that butt. I want to control that butt field. Um, I I was giggling over but... here about what I care most about is the butt. I got I got there a second later. Um, and so you put all your dice there, or you split your dice between that and the and, or between. I I kind of like that. I I was I didn't wasn't sure at first when you were explaining it, but I do like that. I think it also allows some interesting elegance for crunch that you might want to add later. It gives you a lot of choices. Yeah. Maybe if this is your major, you get to roll the dice first and then allocate, as opposed to allocating yeah. and then rolling. Hmm. If you have some other advantage, maybe it allows you to re-roll some number of dice or move some number of dice around. I think there's mm-hmm. some system there that could be fun to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, and it could be flexible a little bit yeah. in the same way that sort of um, 7C is, except without the all the spending time talking about it up front, because the the GM or, the, or whatever you and the GM can agree that maybe this is a role where you're trying to achieve an action and there's a really big and negative, like there's a big, there's a big butt. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I walked right into that. Um, right into that butt. <laughs> but there isn't really a whole lot going on that might end up being a, a positive spin. So there's only the two categories of, of the action and the butt. I mean, or I, maybe there... Hmm? I wouldn't even limit it there. Uh, I would just say if the player doesn't spend any points on the on the end, then there mm-hmm. isn't an end. Yeah. Because that's what a zero in end would do. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah. There's always going to the... be the threat of further risk, but I feel like yeah. that's true to pretty much any any mm-hmm. situation where you might be rolling anyway. There's always a chance of things mm-hmm. getting worse. And, and that definitely, it definitely fits very strongly with the resource allocation yeah. mechanic that I like. Because you're choosing how much time... Yeah, because yeah, because everything is all everything I've in this game so far has been about how much do I I care about one thing? Is you have a certain amount of time that you are allocating to your different classes to represent how much you care about those classes and the skills you're gaining from those classes. And so then it would make sense that the actions basically boil down to how much do I care about the different things that go into making an action. And I think that's actually going to really push the way your fiction goes. I think this is going to be mm-hmm. a genre bacon moment. That this yeah. game is ultimately going to be about what do you care about. Yeah, because you will never have enough dice to successfully put a, a lot of them in each category. Yeah, and you might get lucky sometimes and get all of the things that you wanted. Yeah. But chances are it's not going to be everything wonderful all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's good. I think we 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 started on... This is going to be a weird podcast. We started on my game, and we started with the Discord... And I thought I knew where we were going, and we sort of like fumbled around talking about dice and narrative, and uh, I got a little—I admittedly got a little over my head talking about Seven C, and it just kind of made me want to go back and read that a little bit more. Um, and we came out of it, and that's a really good idea, and that might be the solution to the the system. I think it is. Um, I think it is exactly. I think it fits what you're looking for. You're looking for it. It is, if nothing else, a strong next step. Yeah. And that there's because still... even sorry, go ahead. Uh, just because I was thinking, because you could e- you you could even do it much more like Seven C if you wanted to. You could say, "Here's the action. Put some dice in that into that pile. Here's the uh, there's a fire. Put some dice into that pool to make sure you don't get on fire. Here's the here's there's a there's a letter you could maybe grab. How much do you care about trying to do that? You put some dice into that pool. You could do that. I don't know if 
temporally, that wouldn't necessarily make the most sense. Because, yeah. I mean, you want to have the possibility that the person rolls for advantage, like they roll a single die for advantage, mm-hmm. and they knock it out of the park in whatever system it happens to be. And you're able to go, okay, what's the cool thing you get? Yeah. I think that could yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, it's very interesting. Um, I need to think more about dice and that mechanic, but I like, I like staying with the resource allocation. I think that I, I'm, I was, when I, that idea started to percolate in my mind and I really needed to hear you go through the issues that you had with Edge of the Empire and the issues that you had with Mm -hmm. 7C and the things that you liked about each of those to get it together. But I think, yeah, let's play with that. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. So, yeah, is it, yeah. Is it too early to announce Academia World at Metatopia 2017? <laughs> I think I, I mean I think I said in the Discord that we're definitely at a point where this game is close enough to being a real thing that it's gonna probably be there. Good. In some form. I don't I don't know if it'll um, be playable. In a playable November, game. I mean November's a long way off. Here's a guarantee from Stop Hack and Roll. From Brandon. No, your friend I, Brandon I won't at Stop Hack and Roll. A Here is game. a promise from but, Brandon. Metatopia 2017, Academia World, maybe with a question mark at the end of the name, or maybe with a different name. Definitely it'll be there. a different name. Yeah. But it will be there as a... It'll be there as a game. nothing else as a focus group. As a game. It can be an alpha so, game. And, 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 yeah. And this is, and this is a, uh, uh, just a great example of, like, we made some big strides thinking about dice mechanics, thanks to the discord and getting to chat with you guys more yeah. and and i got to like my friend josh is also working on a uh a resource allocation sort of game and that got me thinking about that a lot more and realizing that that was what i wanted more for my thing um you and josh just gang up on me i need some pbta do. uh fans to get in there and to talk about playing to find out what happens so i'm not all mm-hmm. alone Hopefully we've covered this, if if maybe not as conclusively as I would have liked. Um, the idea that when you're when you're hacking a game, when you're building a game, you want to think about the the dice mechanic and and what role, what narrative role are the dice playing in your game, and and then obviously making sure that they if if they're going to be a strong narrative player in your game, that all the things that they do line up with the story you're trying to tell. Yeah, absolutely. I hope we also manage that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let I us think know. we're getting there. I think we're definitely getting there. Oh, <laughs> uh, awesome. I think this is going to be a thing we have to... I think, like, there's just so much to talk about with dice mechanics and the the different kind of interesting mechanics that different games use. And I think that it's a very... Because, uh, again, I like, one of the things... My, 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 white, my new white whale that I'm chasing <laughs> is... Uh, um, the game mechanics that that accurately represent the actions that they are that the players are taking, and so like I like I, like the thing I keep coming back to is I, at that moment where Han Solo flips a bunch of switches and then pulls a lever and everyone goes to hyperspace. How can I recreate that in a physical sort of like feely way with dice? Oh, see, the closest I've seen to that is um, Robert Bull's Misspent Youth, that you are impulsive teenagers, and when you're ready to take the action and fight back against the man, what you do is you reach across the table abruptly and grab the dice away from people saying that you got this. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. See, I like that. I love that. That's why, like, a huge part of my academia game is going to be designing your class load. I can't wait to see that character sheet. It's going to be so dumb. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be so dumb. At the, it's got to be the talent, like the schedule, and at the bottom you can have literal spaces for the three dice pools. Yeah, 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 I like that. Um, I mean, I'm going to write up a whole class booklet. Um, at one point, the character sheet was going to be a blue book, like the testing blue yeah. book. Um, I don't know if that really <laughs> plays out as well, but it might be a calendar. All right, so uh, if you would like to talk to us about game mechanics and especially about game mechanics related to advantages and disadvantages and allocation of threats and force and destiny and all sorts of things like that <laughs> hit us up we love talking to you you can find us both on twitter together as stop hack and roll or i'm dr captain Cobalt, and i'm and the meltdowns you can check out our website at stophackandroll.com you can email us at james or brandon at stophackandroll.com and uh, definitely join us at our Discord to chat mechanics and uh, and get in on all this me- uh, craziness of me and other people writing their games. And the um, if you back us on Patreon, then um, st- certainly if you back at one of the higher levels where you get a special role, you get some extra rooms. So there's a link now I, it, uh, integrated with the Patreon where it'll invite you. Uh, but if not, everyone is welcome. And the best way to get there is tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord. And we also are going to be playing some games there, so check that out. That's where I'm going to be yeah. posting first for Pasión de las Pasiones playtests, as well as other impromptu games. So we now make this podcast with the support of Patreon backers like Rob Harvey, uh, Declan Chadborn, Riverhouse Games, Troy Pitchelman, uh, Robert Kosick, and Rob Abrazado. Thank you guys all so very much. We really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to help support this show and future shows, check us out at patreon.com slash stophackandroll or tell a friend or leave us an iTunes review. So as you're sitting at your gaming table arguing with your dice about which of you has more narrative control, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Without getting into the history of this game, it used to be a steampunk game that heavily used the Mahjong tiles as as a resolution mechanic, which I still want to go back and revisit. I think that was the best one, and I didn't even say mice. <laughs>